Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 67. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Liam. And yes, we're back after a week off where we had a few of us suffering uh, various ailments. I ended up with conjunctivitis, by the way, so that was not a fun... Oh, that's not fun. Oh, no. Not a fun period of time oh. to spend. I, I would like to say I did not end up with any <laughs> illness. Thank you. So you could have done it solo. But you know what? I fought it off, and by the next morning, I was fine. Oh. Wow, super, super strength. So you're, you're inferring yeah. that just some of us were weaker than others on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Lisa. some of us just don't yeah. have as good a you know, immune system as others. I see. Not okay. as resilient. Oh, no, I see. Okay, noted, noted. Um, so, yes, we're back. We'll be uh, going to an interview later uh, later in the podcast with Tina Holton, the CEO of Child Australia. Um, but before that, we want to uh, just give a couple more notices. We, we talked in the last episode that we will be attending some conferences, and we actually can add another one to the roster, but um, there are a few opportunities now in the next few months to catch up with um, either one or all of us. So uh, if you're in Victoria and can make it to the Victorian Government's Early Childhood Forum, which is called Realising the Potential, uh, you can catch Lisa there conducting some interviews for the show. That's on Friday, 8th of June. So make sure if you're there, track Lisa down and say hi and just, you know, generally be nice to her. Um, and only positive yes, feedback please, about the show. Yes, please, be nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, then in July, all three of us will be at the 14th Social Justice and Early Childhood Conference recording. And if the technical gods are smiling, this will be our first ever live episode. We'll actually put out this episode on the following Friday. But the conference itself is on Saturday, 28th of July. So that's not too far away. And I think we're all looking forward to that one. Uh, and then finally in October... Have you been praying to the technical gods on a regular basis, Liam? Um, I'm trying not to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to backload the prayers and sort of do a whole bunch of them uh, later, maybe later on in July rather than spreading them out. I figure if I can get a more intense hit in July, that might work well. <laughs> A, di- a deep dive. A deep dive, a that's deep right. Dive. <laughs> um, and then finally in October, I'm going to talk a little bit about this in the interview as well, but um, all three of us will be boarding planes up to Darwin for the Little People Big Dreams Conference. Uh, we're still in the planning stages for what we'll do and what we'll record there, but we're uh, very excited to be in attendance, and that'll be on the Saturday 13th of October. So again, if you're attending any of those conferences, um, we're very friendly people. Um, we're, we're not as grumpy as we seem on the show, so feel free to come up and say hi mine's a flat white if you're buying anyone a coffee (laughs) (laughs) um but but before we get on to our main topic of conversation for tonight we did want to note that last week we had planned to spend a little bit of time talking about reconciliation uh week um but because we ended up missing uh that that episode we didn't get that chance and it's wrapping up on sunday so a couple of days after this podcast comes out so we wanted to spend just a little bit of time acknowledging this really important week um both for you know indigenous australians and non-indigenous australians and for the sector as well we think it's really important that the sector gets behind and gets involved uh in reconciliation week not just this week but the whole year round um but this year reconciliation australia invited all australians to learn more about aboriginal and torres strait islander cultures and histories to share that knowledge and help us grow as a nation. The theme was don't keep history a mystery. Um, so I think uh, I'm going to probably turn the floor over to Leanne. I think, Leanne, we just wanted to talk about, you know, some some resources for the, for the sector to engage um, with the themes and the principles of reconciliation. So, you know, what do you sort of recommend that people um, check out? Well, it, and we decided to go down the, the recommending resources route because we didn't have an Aboriginal person on to the podcast this week and we felt that we couldn't talk about um, reconciliation without that voice in the conversation, but we did want to 
um, highlight that uh, that it is Reconciliation Week and offer a few thoughts and ideas around those. So I think I, I think Lisa has made a recommendation there as well. But I'll talk briefly about the things that I've um, sort of picked up and find valuable. And we'll also put those links on the website, won't we, Liam? We'll do that? We absolutely will. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, and the Don't Keep History a Mystery, I've just – I there was something that Gillian Triggs tweeted through the week that was some fantastic um, history resource, and I still can't find that, but I will <laughs> I'll try and find that. I spent a couple of minutes today trying to find it, but I will keep – trying to find that so we can add that. And I'm not entirely sure exactly what it was, but I always think anything that Gillian Triggs recommends has to be taken up um, immediately as a, a clarion call. So I'm pretty sure that that will be valuable. Um, there were a couple of other things. There's something on the ASEQA website which is about engaging with Aboriginal communities and I was very excited to find out it was an old PSC and IPSP uh, document that was made a while ago and it just talks about connecting and engaging with communities ignore the last part where it recommends you get in touch with your PSC that is not going to help you because there is no PSC Boo. so just leave that one out Boo, that's right um, there's some great stuff from the ABC uh, not in the area of early childhood but looking at Aboriginal history so that will provide some background uh, to history and I think Looking at the history in your own area, which many early childhood centres do and make incredible connections with elders in their area, but consider looking at the history and understanding the the history of um, the area and the ABC website does that really well. Then probably just a couple more. The um, There's a wonderful, uh, a beautiful story of a chuka a childcare centre in Echuca, an Aboriginal childcare centre in Echuca, uh, and it is it's under the Everyone Benefits um, banner, and it is the story of that service, and it's it's told by Aboriginal people. It's really it is a very beautiful, and it's interesting because there's a strong political message in around funding in that particular video. So if you can have a look at that, check it out, um, and then. Also, there's a couple of book recommendations there and curriculum. Jessica Staines uh, has that um, particular organisation and it's really worth a look around in there. And I, I think, Lisa, you've made a recommendation there about uh, the multiverse book. Yes, that's right, Leanne. Red Ruby Scarlet and Jessica Stain have put out a book. Um, uh, it'll be out in a few weeks called The Aboriginal Early Childhood Practice Guide. You can get that through multiverse.com.au. It's to tie in with the conference that they're holding in Sydney. And I um, was privileged to be able to edit that book. And it, so I've read it from cover to cover numerous times. And it's really good. It gives lots of examples of different things that different services have done to connect with their communities. Wonderful. Fantastic. Yeah. So and, I, and I recommend um, also going back to the interview, Liam, that you did with Alex Shane and it probably was about 12 months ago, um, from uh, Reconciliation Australia and have a listen to that uh, interview. So you'll definitely put that link up, won't you? Or have you already done that for this week? 
Absolutely. That, that, I, I even went back and did some research. That's episode 31. So if you want to go back on your podcast app of choice and find that one, but we'll include the link as well. And that was, uh, yeah, it would have been exactly a year ago. It was really great to, to chat with Alex about, um, about those issues. Um, but yeah, we, we hope everyone across the sector has done some fantastic things for Reconciliation Week. And I think, you know, particularly for us, um, we would hope that part of that is about commitment to engaging with the principles of reconciliation after this week as well and looking for opportunities to do that throughout the year. Um, but we will uh, be including all of those links to all of those resources. Thanks, Leanne and Lisa, for, for tracking those down. Uh, we'll be taking a very short break and then we'll be back with the CEO of Child Australia, Tina Holton. Stay with us. Welcome back. The National Quality Framework has meant different things to different states and territories. Every one of them had different regulatory and policy approaches to quality prior to 2012. But Western Australia and the Northern Territory have more challenges than most. Workforce issues, remote communities often facing significant disadvantage and huge geographical distances to cover. We thought it might be time for us Eastern Coast elites to take a closer look out west and up north. So we're joined for this discussion by the CEO of Child Australia, Tina Holton. Tina, welcome to the Early Education Show. Thank you for having me. So, Tina, start... Eastern States elite. <laughs> we're, glad <you're> even... <laughs> we're glad you're even talking to us, Tina. Um, so, Thanks. Tina, start by, by telling us and listeners all about Child Australia. Sure. So we're a not-for-profit organisation, as you said, uh, operating locally in WA and Northern Territory. We operate our own early learning services and outside school hours care throughout both regions on a variety of settings, school sites, community and family centres, etc. We have a range of parenting and family support programs. We have a partnership program with Bagger Aboriginal Community in Darwin, uh, where we have a series of interconnected projects there. We're involved in several collective impact initiatives. We run accredited training for the sector in NT with our registered training organisation partners, GTNT. And we offer a range of professional services from assisting new services to get started, um, a suite of management services in terms of school partnerships or supporting community-based organisations and committees. And we offer professional development events, workshops, conferences and on-site consultancy for centres. So that's us. And we also have online learning centre and a national approach to assisting services through uh, Skype and, and virtual support. Wow. Are you kind that's of a- it in both <laughs> states? Like, does anyone else do anything? That sounds well, like a huge drill. It is. In the Northern Territory, probably not. In WA, we have some people that try and compete, but we tend to push them out. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're that's... very collaborative in our approach is what I should say to you. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the people who are listening. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely very collaborative. That's all right. Um, now, so uh, obviously, as you said, you're working across Western Australia and the Northern Territory. So do you want to just, um, yeah. you know, as, as much as you like, give us a bit of, you know, the context of those, you know, of that, that state and that territory, and I guess particularly focused yeah. on, on children. Sure. So we do have some big challenges in, in both WA and NT, um, and I'm not sure if it's necessarily standalone to us. It's probably likely widespread, but um, we've, we're seeing increased mental health concerns in terms of the children that we work with specifically around anxiety and trauma-related concerns. There are, you know, endless issues that, that come with working with children, but um, we're seeing more and more, particularly in the remote um, rural remote areas. Um, in terms of working with the childcare centres and services around, you know, we've got a lot of difficulty in connecting with the rural remote areas 
it's it's becoming quite cost prohibitive for us to be able to support those areas. So a lot of it becomes online, which we all know that, you know, with online it becomes a bit diluted. <laughs> um, you know, other, other issues that we're facing in the NT, we have uh, quite a transient workforce, which obviously impacts not only on the service from a staff turnover perspective, but on the children with the changing educators and, and getting accustomed to new faces. Um, but, you know, for both WA and NT, we do have do ongoing have workforce any... issues. Yeah, sorry, on... yeah. Do you have any stats on what your turnover of your workforce is? Sure. It ranges between 40 to around 55%. Um, wow. Depending wow. On, yeah. Um, 40 is WA, 55, 60 would be in the Northern Territory of a cross-section of clients that we work with. Yeah. So it's quite quite high. Wow. Yeah. So we, we do have those on, ongoing workforce issues. Uh, we're seeing a lot of knowledge gaps in, in educators, a leadership shortage, you know, lack of professional recognition, but I'm sure you'll agree that that's across the board. So we're seeing, at the moment, we're seeing a real high level of burnout. And I know that that's probably the sector's um, a bit feeling a bit jaded with all of the changes going on. You know, the CCS changes, NQF changes, shifting goalposts with the exceeding rating, but we're certainly feeling it within sectors at the moment in, in those two areas. So, Tina, um, a lot of the, the, the media and a lot of the, I guess, on the ground stuff we see, uh, you know, out here in I work in Canberra, and Leanne and yep. Lisa and Sydney is um, yeah. is occupancy trouble. So, yes. lots and lots of new centres being built, often by private operators. Is that the same in Western Australia and the NT? Look, it's actually interesting because media would have you believe that you can't find anywhere to put your child in childcare, and I don't actually know where that comes from because for the last couple of years, in particular, you know, it's hovering around sixty percent for both WA and the Northern Territory. We do have services where they have wait lists and things like that. But in general, it's certainly not the case. And the interesting thing is because we assist new services in getting started up, we're getting at least two, three calls a week of new services wanting to come into the sector. Do you then tell them about the low occupancy of... Yeah, we actually had one, in a, you know, one of the consultants that worked for us mentioned to them, you realise there's one across the road, right? Like, it's just, it's interesting that people aren't necessarily doing any due diligence when it comes to the business setup. Um, and obviously, you know, it's not regulated in any way, so people can go ahead and set up. But in, in terms of the feasibility that they were looking at um, us assisting them with, we made it very clear that it wasn't necessarily good business sense, let alone the fact that it's going to crush the other services close by. And does your local councils, like, do services have to go through a DA process? Yeah, they do. And there's there's elements of asset mapping that goes on, but it's still not prohibited. You can still open a service next door to another and it really wouldn't make a difference. And could could local councils have the right to either, you know, insist that they do a feasibility study or just reject DAs on the grounds of, you know, there's already an oversupply in this area? Well, it hasn't been done to my knowledge. I don't know if it's been done in any of the councils, to be honest. Um, it, it literally is just seems to be driven by market forces and um, no real regulation whatsoever. So, Tina, how are parents making um, choices about childcare then? Well, it, you know, a lot of it still is word of mouth. 
um, the, the ratings are certainly starting to become more common knowledge amongst the parents, although, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's shifting again, you know, with the exceeding rating. That's going to be interesting as to how we work that with parents, you know, shifting what exceeding meant a couple of months ago to now. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's still word of mouth and there's still a lot of, um, you know, parents relying on local schools, et cetera, to be providing them with that sort of information. But it, it would just be the normal, you know, looking up on YouTube or Google or whatever the platforms are that they're using to, to find out how what's what's in their area. So there's no crazy, you know, sometimes we've seen some mad schemes where um, oh, give services. away the iPads? Yeah, those yeah. sorts of things. Oh, yeah, that goes on. That does go on, yeah, giving away iPads or, you know, a free month worth of enrolment and things like that. That does happen. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. Can I just go back to something I've always wanted to know and never understood? Sure. Why did it take Western Australia an extra year than the rest of the country to come into the NQF? Because we are the wait-a-while state. <laughs> So it was nothing other than that. No, we do have different legislation, I believe, that makes yep. it a little bit a little bit different for for the rest of the country. So it, it was our legislative processes. So you couldn't have the applied laws that we had. You had to pass them separately. Is that right? Apparently, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just because Western Australia is very, very special. I've heard that a lot. We are very unique, yeah. <laughs> so, Tina, I want to dig into a few of those challenges you sort of mentioned before, and I think, sure. uh, you know, listeners to this podcast won't be too surprised that we that, that, that workforce challenges, I think, are a big thing um, we think is a real uh, issue facing the entire sector. So, um, mm. you know, tell us a bit about, I mean, you sort of touched on them briefly in your intro, but, you know, tell us a bit about what some of the specific workforce challenges are facing um, WA and the NT. Sure. So... You know, I think it actually starts with recruitment issues in, it, in itself. Um, it, it does seem to be that there's some general misconception in and around what it actually means to be an educator. I'm not sure what people are expecting. Um, Lots of pay. Yeah. Look, <laughs> there's all sorts of different ideas. You know, some people see it as a glorified babysitting role. Um, other, yeah, possibly think that there's more money in it. Um, but... It just seems to think that there's a real disconnect with what the actual reality of the role is as opposed to what uh, people are thinking that they're getting themselves into. And and there's there's a lot of demands on the educator role. It is is quite complicated. It's not as simple as going in there and just making sure that the children are safe. There's a lot more to it. So, oh, really? Oh, yeah, apparently there's a lot more to the role. <laughs> so it's... You know, I think that perhaps, I, you know, I don't know where it's being sold, whether it's in high schools or whether it's, you know, at that um, tertiary level, but it just seems that there's a massive disconnect between the reality of the role and, you know, changing nappies and, and things like that as opposed to what this preconceived ideas are. So that's probably one of the key issues we're having. And then, you know, it's induction processes, it's retention issues, you know, how do we retain people when... Um, the, the salaries that we've got and the the conditions, it's you know, long hours and there's lots of demands. So, yeah, it just seems to be a bit of a cycle with, with what's going on. And particularly, like I mentioned, uh, you know, Northern Territory is actually quite transient depending on what's going on. Um, we're quite reliant on some key projects there to ensure that we've got uh, candidates that match in. But, um, yeah, it can be quite complicated. So lots of different areas that um, make it very difficult to sustain the workforce there. 
And are either of your state or territory governments doing anything about workforce in for you know the sector? Yeah, look, we're working quite closely with the Northern Territory Government in, in terms of their early childhood education and care workforce strategy. Um, they're quite quite committed and, and want to know what is the, the best approaches and they know that there's broader systemic issues there. So um, that's been quite productive and is, is moving along quite nicely. So, you know, we're, there we're sort of addressing issues of recruitment, retention, um, training and professional development, professional recognition and transferable skills, and obviously, we've got a quite a, a big leadership shortage up there as well. What's your um, with your turnover? Is that in any particular qualification, or is it sort of across the board? Yeah, really across the board, but largely around the Cert Three and diploma. Okay, and so those people yeah. are they're either moving on because it's a transient workforce. What are the other reasons that they are moving on? Yeah, largely transient workforce. Um, if there is the ECT qualified, so the early childhood trained qualified staff moving into schools, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. Child, you know, early childhood is or early childhood education and care is seen as the entry point and then at some point they just exit. So um, it was kind of seen as a, you know, an initial place but not necessarily staying. We, and we can't compete with things like school holidays and, you know, the income that's matched in with that, et cetera. So it does make it very difficult, yeah. Mm. And so, Tina, part of that challenge with the workforce as well, and I know this will be particularly relevant to Child Australia, given you used to be the professional support coordinator uh, prior yeah. to the loss of funding, is professional development and actually, you know, helping uh, grow the, the skills and the, the qualifications of the sector. So, um, you know, tell us a bit about, I guess, you know, what are the challenges around um, PD now that there's, you know, there's obviously the workforce strategy has ended. There's no PSC funding. Yeah. The LDC PDP is funding, and I, and, and what one and this is this is such a typical East Coast uh, attitude, uh, Tina. But you know, for me, it just seems like geographically, how do you how do you get to people to even just be delivering training? Yeah, and that's the hard part, as I mentioned earlier, Liam. Is that you know, sadly, it's becoming more and more cost prohibitive to be able to reach the people that genuinely do need the help. Um, thankfully, we have things like Skype and, you know, but it, it is still very limiting to be able to see or immerse yourself in that particular setting to know what the real needs are. Um, having a conversation with somebody over a phone is is good to a degree, but it's not the same as being on site and being able to see what actually is happening here to be able to support. Um, so, you know, we are working closely with a lot of the rural remote areas to ask them to pull together funding so that we can offer, um, you know, a, a bit of a, a visit where we can go and visit all of these services together, and that seeming to work. That seems to work quite well. So hopefully we can continue to encourage the services that way. But um, yeah, so that's that's really what we're trying to do with those um, rural and remote areas. And what do you think is the greater? What are you what are you sort of seeing is the greatest um, need in the sector? Like, what are people most calling out for in terms of PD support? To, to be honest, it's always around um, a child's behaviour. And when we really unpack that, it's about wow. the quality of relationships. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's never, it's never it's about the never behaviour the behavior. Issues, no. Never, ever, never, yeah. ever. Well, it's about um, the behaviour so, of the educators usually. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, you know, we, we always get requests for, you know, child behaviour. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, trauma 
children that have experienced trauma is, is well and truly on the increase, particularly in the Northern Territory, and we do get a lot of requests for that. Um, and educators recognising that they don't have the skill set to support children that have had, um, uh, you know, backgrounds that have been affected by trauma. So it is changing, but the the fallacies in and around a child's behaviour is still well and alive. And when we unpack it with the service, you know, it is genuinely realised by them that they know that it's not, it's actually not the child's behaviour, but perhaps the environment or, or the, the quality of relationships mm. with the educators. And exacerbated by your turnover, whatever's, you know, the percentage absolutely. of turnover very, in the state. Very unsettling so for a child. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so a, workforce, a workforce strategy rather than a behaviour management workshop would be a really good idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so we've been, we've, over the last few episodes, Tina, as well, we've been sort of kicking around the government's recent announcement that they were going to cut funding to the National Quality Agenda. Uh, we still, mm. it still seems to be trickling out. We're still not entirely sure what the what the outcome for this might be or what the effect on the sector will be. But, um, you know, from your point of view, in your role at uh, Child Australia, what are you, what are you most uh, concerned about with this cut? Well... I actually thought that they were calling our bluff and that perhaps it wasn't going to happen, but I'm understanding that it's definitely going ahead. So, look, the message that I'm hearing is that, unfortunately, it sounds as though quality just isn't important. And when we're speaking to our clients, they're genuinely, which, you know, is is the sector, they're genuinely concerned about what this might mean. So, you know, are we sending that message that quality is no longer important because we're hearing of all sorts of, um, staff cuts in terms of the departments, the reg units not having the resources to be able to fund assessors and compliance officers. So, you know, even as as early as today, um, I heard, oh, well, I'm not going to see the reg unit for at least a year. Wow. So mm, is, that what, that's yeah, is that what we're going to be faced with? No, it's not. And that's that's very recent as well. So what's this going to be like in, in six to 12 months? So Tina, have you have you had any conversations with the with the education department in or the education departments in the, in in either Western Australia or Northern Territory about uh, you know I guess their reaction to it or what they what they think might might come of this? Yeah, so in the Northern Territory, where um, early learning falls within the edu- education department, in WA it doesn't. We're, we're within communities portfolio, so there's a little bit of um, disconnect there. But in terms of what it means, is I, I know that the Northern Territory government was was not expecting. I don't think many of us were. You know, the week prior to the announcement, the COAG met and listened to Deb Brennan and Susan Pascoe deliver the Lifting Our Game report and and, and highlighted the the importance of quality. So I don't think any of them were expecting it. Um, It will be interesting to see how it's supported um, within the Northern Territory and WA, but I know that um, the quality is, is critical for both the state for both WA and the Northern Territory, so they're certainly not going to let it slip, which is positive. Um, how how they go about doing that is obviously going to be up to the individual um, governments to sort out. Right, it's going to be a fascinating challenge. I mean, particularly when you're looking at the, you know, those challenges you've been telling us about, Tina. It seems like you know, yeah. a cut to quality agenda funding might have a particularly disproportionate impact in absolutely. The state yeah, we do, look. We're, we're just hoping that the the state and territory governments will, you know, pick up where everything's left off and we just move on and we won't skip a beat and hopefully that is the case. So I'll remain optimistic for the time being. 
Oh yay! <laughs> yes. Tennis on happen. Do you happen to know off the top of your head what the quality ratings are for for both states? Or what do you mean by the in well, terms like of where we're are, how many exceed, what proportion you've got as exceeding meeting and working towards? Well, well, under the new um, NQF, that's that's a little bit different. But prior to that, we had about thirty percent exceeding in WA. Um, and so that was quite good. Like I said, at the moment we've only got one. We've got two now that are exceeding. Yeah. Um, in the Northern Territory, we had about forty uh, percent that were. Now let me get that right. It was sixty percent that are meeting. We've still got forty percent that we need to get up to scratch. So when we look at wow, that's yeah. pretty huge, isn't it? It is still yeah. a huge number. Yes, we've still got a long way to go. Yeah. Yep. And that might be a good segue to say, in terms of the, some of the challenges you've been um, talking about uh, with us, Tina, you know, what are some of the things, you know, the, the, the government, the sector, you know, is there, are there partnerships happening to try and sort of address some of these challenges? What's some of the, the you know, the good things that are happening in the in this state and this territory? Yeah, sure. So in the Northern Territory, we're supported by um, Northern Territory government to, we actually offer a series of workshops and events and, and we do that with a series of other um, non-government organisations, so they're quite um, they're quite proactive in terms of that manner and, and making sure that the sector knows that there there is support out there. Um, and, and just as recent as today, we had conversations with the WA government on what collaborative efforts we can take. Um, so, it, it, and I understand also how difficult it is because the regulatory units have a role. Um, their role is obviously compliance and an assessment of the services. So. It's almost that case of where does the support fall? You know, we, we haven't quite worked out where that has to go, yet we all recognise and appreciate that there's a genuine need. Um, so there's those conversations going on. And, you know, but also I think that the sector really as educators, directors, etc., it all needs to step up a notch and we need to stop suggesting that it costs too much and things like that. There's so many different things on offer. Um, you know, I know that... You know, for example, one of the things that we offer, which is a, a professional development for you package, you can, you know, pay that on a monthly basis, and it's a very small amount of um, small amount of fees, so that it doesn't impact on cash flow. So, I think that we we need to run out of excuses as to why we can't stay ahead of the game and why we can't stay current. Um, uh, you know, I'm of a personal belief that when you work with children the onus is on the educator as well to make sure that you're equipped and ahead of ahead of the game and, and really up to date with all the latest research and evidence for your own yeah, practice. Yeah, but it's a hard ask if you're not paid much and, you know, you're only in the no, job for that's short true. period. that's true. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing is, is that th this is where the excuses need to stop is that, you know, we're a non-for-profit organisation, yet we run our own early learning services and OSH services and we pay our staff well and truly above award wages, but all of our centres also have a very healthy PD budget, and yet we know that those centres still return, you know, return an investment, so which is then put back into the community. So, if we can do that as a non-for-profit, I'm not sure where we're missing the mark there. <laughs> well, you're not making a huge profit and funneling it into, into um, 
shareholders' pockets and no, yeah. that's correct. That's exactly right. It all goes straight back to the, you know to improving outcomes for children. But but that's the thing is that you know I don't think that we can necessarily get away with oh, it, it's costing too much because we we know that it can be done. It just depends on what your um, what your motive is your for money being, on. exactly what your what your motive is for being in the sector. Yeah. So when can when I said, just, um, um, can, sorry, I was just going to ask. Yeah, just so, I was just going to ask about. You said that utilization was somewhere around 60 percent or something. Did you say? Is yeah. that what you said? Yep. Yes. So um, is that when you're talking about your own services? Is that the level at which it's sitting at as well? No, we're actually quite fortunate. Our services are sitting on, you know, between 80 to 100%. Right, so okay. We're, we're a little bit outside the norm, but if we look at the norm in terms of sector across WA and the Northern Territory, around 60% utilisation is, is quite average. Mm, okay. Um, Can I suggest that's not because you're fortunate, it must be because you're doing something right if you've got that higher, uh, uh, you know, that, that much higher percentage than the rest of the sector? Yeah, sure. Look, we some of it is, you know, a little bit fortunate, I suppose. But um, no, we we are quite different in our approach, and we like. And I suppose the difference is, you know, we we do reinvest back into the into the centre, and everything goes into the the curriculum, the resources, the the nutrition, um, everything's for sustainability practices. So everything's reinvested back in, and parents see that, and mm. so we have parents on wait lists and parents that want to be part of something that's you know that's truly quite different we've got great relationships where we're where we're situated we've got great relationships with either the schools or the child and family center so you know we are co-located with great uh, supporters who we've got great working relationships with and the quality of those relationships I think really influences parents decisions so you know um I'm just thinking of one one of the schools, Nightcliff Primary School in the Northern Territory. We've got a great working relationship with them. Principal is highly supportive. So it, it's just seen as a natural progression for them that the, the early learning centre and the outside school hours care are part of that school community. And I think that's what truly makes the difference. It's a, a real genuine partnership and it's yeah. and it's obvious and apparent, yeah. Can I just ask something totally out of the ballpark? I was at a conference today and I heard someone said to me that they their feeling was that a lot of services across Australia under um, the new childcare subsidy were looking at running shorter hours for long daycare centres. Yeah. Is that something that's been, you know, mooted at all? Um, partially it was as a response to the activity test, but also yeah. just because now they can. Well, it, it, we've actually done a, a little bit of um, work and we, we've actually looked at some case studies of, of typical families in all of our, in all of our settings. Um, and yeah, it, for our families, it tends to work that it tends to work more in their favor. So we haven't really looked at anything in terms of hours or anything like that because it, it doesn't seem to be affecting most families. They seem to have a smaller out-of-pocket cost. So it, it, it should benefit, we're hoping. That's good. Yeah, it is good. It is good. good and I know that's uh, not the case across the board, but certainly for the, for the work that we've done on the families that we know intimately well and that we have data for, it does seem to work in, in their favour. And what percentage of your um, uh, of your 
families have actually signed up for the subsidy. We heard yesterday that only around 57%. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, so we've been quite proactive with our families and, you know, really started the process quite early on in the piece. So at this point, we're sitting at around 70 to 80%. Um, and, you know, there, there's going to be, there are going to be issues, we know that, but I think that, you know, I know that the federal government has certainly stepped up the ante when it comes to advertising suddenly. So um, hopefully that will get the message through, but we're being quite proactive in terms of, you know, the constant conversations and, you know, and if it means that we stand out in the foyer with our parents, then, then we will do that. But our parents have been quite good and, and our centre directors have been quite proactive in their approach in, in ensuring that the parents are ready to go because we don't want them to miss out. I'm doing that next week. I'm uh, locked into all the foyers of the various centres at Northside, I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and sometimes you have to do, you know, we, it's not ideal and there's so many changes and, and geez, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that Proda was not working well and that the system was going to fall over and, you know, that's great, but in the reality we, we have to do this and it is what it is and we just move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tina, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us the background on NT in the Western Australia to our to the coastal elites from from Sydney and Canberra. Um, we will be definitely having you on uh, in the future. I thought maybe we should probably disclose here that um, you've been very lovely to all three of us, Tina, and invited us up to an event the Child Australia is uh, hosting in October. I don't know if you wanted to let the let the listeners. Uh, know about the Little People Big Dreams conference. Yeah, sure. So, and, and thank you for the elite coming to join us in, <laughs> in the Northern Territory. If you saw us in there. our trackies and pyjamas and Ugg boots, you wouldn't think of it as oh, an elite at all. You'll be able to recognise us because we'll be sweating so much. Yeah. That's it. We're I'll actually be, very welcoming, so you'll be fine. I'll be emailing through my rider um, next week. Yeah. Great. So, no, so the the October conference, the Little People Big Dreams conference is being held on Saturday the 13th of October in Darwin, as you said, at the Convention Centre. It's a great opportunity for us to have the sector in terms of early childhood come together as, as a whole. When, and when we, we mean that is, is, you know, childcare, it's teachers, it's principals, it's leadership, it's policymakers, the whole lot. So it really is... A fantastic conference and, and people it, will travel from all over the territory oh, for that. absolutely absolutely so you know we'll see people come up you know driving we had one last year that drove for 11 hours which sort of wow. um, should have been given at least a, a, a blue ribbon of some sort um so you know i think it, that it, means it, the good ug boots guys <laughs> exactly exactly right so look it's a great opportunity and we're very thankful to have um all three of you joining us along with Susan Pascoe who will also be joining us and another keynote who we're yet to announce. So stay tuned for more details on that one. Very exciting. We're excited as we're well. Very, yeah, we're, yeah, very, we're very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, Tina, thank you very much for your time uh, coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. It's been great. Oh. 
All right. Thanks again for Tina Holton uh, for joining us. Uh, she had the, the usual crazy Western Australian time difference. So she got a, she had to log on pretty quickly after coming back from work, whereas we, uh, we, we sort of hang around and do it a bit later in the night. But uh, we really appreciate Tina joining us, and we're really looking forward to the Little People Big Dreams conference. So we will end it there, though, tonight. It's been another... We, we appreciate everyone coming back and listening to us. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Uh, but until then, it's goodbye from me. And from me. And from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.